Hello. My name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to say hey to everybody who's new and been here forever. Um, it's great to see you again. I also want to say hey to everybody online. Uh, if you didn't get one of these, um, they're out there in the lobby and somebody can bring one to you if you need it. And we'll be doing a communion at the end today. And so wanted to say that also for those who are online, you can go ahead and prepare something from your house. Um, it's good to be together. And I, I want to pray for us. I do want to make a mention there of uh, madealiveworldwide.com. You can also find that just by going to our website, pvwinona.com. People who are out there that we support. So you give to Pleasant Valley and part of what you give goes to support these people who are on the mission field full time. And they are counting on that. And so one of the other ways that you can support them is praying for them. Uh, and so one would be to watch that interview, and then we've got all the contact information for them, and you shoot them an email and say, hey, I'm so-and-so, I don't know you, but I wanted you to know I listened to your thing, I'm praying for you, so thankful for you. You would not believe how much that will encourage them, because it is different being on the mission field and trying to figure out how to do ministry during COVID. So just something to think about, follow the Lord's heart there. Uh, let me pray for us as we get started. Lord, thank you for um, who you are. Lord, thank you for your gospel. Lord Jesus, thank you that um, you are not surprised, still not surprised at everything that's going on in the world. In fact, Lord, we take great comfort as we think about what your word says, um, that on an individual basis, Lord, it says that all the days of our lives, Lord, are they not written down in your book before they come to be? And Lord, as it deals with um, governments and countries and nations, I was just reading this week, uh, Lord, in the book of Job, how you have every single leader and every nation is at your beck and call. You decide whether they rise or whether they fall. And uh, every king, government leader is in that seat, Lord, because you say so. And Lord, I know that messes with us theologically whenever we see people who do things that we think are bad, but Lord, you're working all of it according to your great and glorious will to cause as many people as possible to come to know you, Jesus, before you return. And so Lord, we believe what your word says and we keep coming back to it and trusting, uh, Lord, that it's true and we believe it. And so this morning, as we once again open up Luke's gospel, uh, would you minister to us, Lord? Would we hear your voice uh, speaking to us, Lord? I believe by your spirit uh, that the word of God travels across time and eternity to reach us today. And so, Lord, let it move in us today. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, take your copy of God's word, whether that's hard copy or your phone, or if you want to follow along on the screen, Luke chapter 9. Uh, it's the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, the third gospel. And we're hearing his perspective, the stories he has put together, answering the question, who is Jesus? And so that we may have assurance of who he is. I was 17 years old. I was kind of following Jesus. Uh, I went to church, youth group, to play basketball. Not because of the sermons, not because of the worship. I tolerated the sermons I tolerated the worship. I don't know if you call it worship. Back then we were like, blind man sit by the way and he cried. Like that was our worship. We didn't really have praise and worship yet. And so we had hymns and campfire songs. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. Uh, that was another one. 
But I went because I knew if I sat through that, I get to play basketball afterwards. And I knew when I was a kid, if I sat through whatever the Sunday school teacher was doing, I could maybe get candy if I answered the questions about Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And so that was me. That's where I was a little bit with my walk with the Lord. It was kind of like, eh. There's this guy named Tim Tinsley. He was a youth pastor and he started pursuing me with the gospel. Now I was an athlete. I was arrogant. I was, you know, like kind of what I described, probably not your favorite kid to deal with in high school. And he invited me to come to church at 6.30 a.m. during the week. And I was like, no, why would I do that? I don't like coming Wednesday night. Why would I come in the morning? And he's like, I want you to come, just you and your buddy, Jonathan, and we are going to open God's word together. And we're gonna pray together. And we're gonna hear from him. It's like, okay. So I started coming and I listened and I was like, all right, I'll do that. I started learning. And then he started to push me a little bit. And he said, I want you to get up front at youth group and give the announcements this week. And I was like, no, I can't do that. I can't talk in front of people. It's like, no, you need to do that. Get up in front of people. So I got up front and I, I said, all right. And then he dropped a bomb. He said, Chad, one day you're going to take my job. I was like, what? He's like, I see it in you. You have a call to be a pastor. One day you're going to take my job. I was like, no, no, no. There's no way I could do what you do. I don't know how to do this. He goes, you do. The Lord will teach you. And actually, I want you to speak at youth group next week. I was a senior in high school and I was supposed to get up front and give the message. And so I was like, no, I can't do that. But I've been reading a book that he gave me called The Gospel According to Jesus by John MacArthur. It's a good book, um, but it was probably the only book I finished in high school, actually, now that I think about it. Um, <laughs> so I read that book and I was fired up and I was like, okay, I'll give the message. In fact, I think it needs to be two weeks. So I did part one and part two, stood there in front of my friends. <clears throat> um, so this week, I was so awkward. It was so just... But I did it. I did it. And the title of my message was The Gospel According to Jesus, Are You Really a Christian? Part one. And then I did part two. And I stepped up and said, yes. Today, you're going to watch Jesus do the same thing with the disciples. Luke chapter nine, verse one. Here we go. He called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Tim didn't give me that. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Don't even have an extra change of clothes. Whatever house you enter, stay there. In other words, whoever is the hospitable house, stay there. And then let that be the house that you stay in the whole time and depart from there. And if they don't receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them, which was a cultural thing that basically said, we don't respect this person. We don't respect this town. They are rejecting God. They departed, went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. How many of us are willing and ready to answer the world's greatest problems right now? Think about them. Just think about them. 
as you've been doing some doom scrolling this week? Anybody? <sighs> Reading those headlines, looking at those posts. How many of us are ready to answer all of those things with Jesus Christ is the one and only answer? Would you say that? Now we would say, well, if we're talking church talk, of course we would say Jesus is the answer. And if we're talking future kingdom of God stuff, we would say, sure, that's, that's a reality. But I mean, we're talking about real world problems that need real solutions. Can we keep the church talk between the church walls, maybe? And yet here we have Jesus sending out the disciples and the passage we just read, a few verses where he's telling them, I don't have a political message for you. I don't have a program for you to start. I want you to tell them about one thing, my kingdom. My kingdom and that it is here and that it will be established forever. So we get a glimpse of Jesus' mission for the world. Just kind of, this is like the trailer. This is like the movie trailer for the movie, which you will be in, by the way. This is just the beginning. And I had a prayer for my own heart as I started reading and thinking about this, because I'll be honest with you, I could do this. I could do this, but going out there, talking to people, like real people, <laughs> not that you're not real, but you know what I mean? Where I have to interact and have them object and say, I don't want to listen to you. And like, right now I can just do this. And, and I've done this for a long time, but it's hard to go out there. My prayer for my own heart I'm in prayer for you this morning is that we would hear Jesus not just telling us, yeah, this is what I did with the disciples. We would hear him say, your turn. Go get them. Go get them. The mission hasn't changed. We should sing that, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Maybe. It's kind of how I felt sometimes thinking about it. Maybe. And if you think about sometimes the way we shine Jesus, we're like, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to like, I don't want to blind you. I don't want you to be weirded out by me. But Jesus says, out of the nest, now is the time, go. He gave them power and authority. What does this mean? What did it mean for them? What does it mean for us? Well, they represented a king. They represented his kingdom. And his kingdom wasn't to stay just in the talk. They were to go out and actually do things. I thought of this, that Jesus was giving them, in a sense, a mirror where they, he is the light and our job when we go out is not to produce this thing on our own. It is to take the mirror and we know what we know about Jesus and we go, and then we, is that in your eyes? That's kind of, that's evangelism. That is really what it's about. It's not, I have to come up with this thing on my own. It's all I'm doing <clears throat> is reflecting the light of Christ. But that's easier said than done. So we come up with other ways. We come up with like savvy communication and little quick ways to say things. And this program, this snazzy kind of lights show that will try to helpfully help people if they can really understand. But when it comes down to it, Jesus is kind of telling us there's no substitute for just a person with another person. There's no substitute. You know, I know you can send them a video. You can send them somebody speaking to them or whatever, but really what the Lord is saying with this is the best gift that they can have is you. It's a person on a person. Jesus still loves to use people. 
even with all of our advanced technology, well-made pieces of media, perfectly written posts, whatever, there's still the need for a relationship. So they're out there. They are proclaiming the kingdom of God. So I like to picture this stuff. So imagine two guys, let's just say like one of the fishermen, like who's, he knows how to fish, but he doesn't know how to talk to people. He doesn't know how to teach. And another guy, and they come into this little village and they're like, so, hey, excuse us. We're like, we know this guy and he's, he's the Messiah, you know, like the, the Messiah, the King that's coming. And we just did, do you have any like sick people or demon possessed kids or anything? (laughs) Which if you think about it, this is how awkward it would have felt for them. Kind of like me standing in front of my youth group. I'm going to give a message today. Okay, here we go. It's awkward. It's weird. It doesn't seem like the best way to do that. How can we actually make a difference, Lord? Now, the Lord is establishing apostolic authority because these are going to be the guys that are going to build the church afterwards. And so he wants them to be confident. And so, but he's also not saying everybody's going to do miracles. Everybody's going to go out. And if you don't do miracles, then it's probably not real ministry. Don't be so shallow in your interpretation. You got to look beyond that and see what is he really trying to do? So they spoke and they touched people and healed people. There were words and there were actions. There was word and deed. It's the same today. It may not be, you know, sparks fly miraculous, but it can be miraculous in other ways. Let me show you a picture of a way I learned that. This is from Mozambique. And this little girl is Sapiwe is her name. And sometimes we need other people to show us this because I'm okay with the words, but sometimes with the actions, I'm a little short. And so we walked into this house and look at it. Just look at like that will pass no inspection anywhere in America. It's dirt. And I remember walking through that door and just, you know, you're, you're kind of like, okay, this is a tiny room. This is the kitchen. And there was another room in the back and there's a couple of things on the table. It was dirty. I will be honest. I did not want to be there. So I'm doing the Christian thing and I'm trying to be open and honest, but I'm also sitting there and I was with Sammy and my mom was there. Kirsten was with us. And I was just like, I don't want to be here. I am uncomfortable with this Lord. So I walked in and I'm trying to put on the best face I can. I walk and I tuck my head into the other room. It's pitch black, but I hear something. These little whimpers. And I stuck my head back out and I was like, Sybil. And Sybil's the missionary that we support, another missionary who needs our encouragement um, and support. But I said, Sybil, I I think there's something in here. And so she said something to her and she goes, answer back. And then Sybil translated to us. She goes, oh, her uh, two newborn infants are in there. They're on the ground on a blanket, just kind of laying there. No nice crib, no pack and play, no diaper genies anywhere, just on the ground. And I was really uncomfortable then. And so your Christian spiritual thing kind of wants to be like, well, I'll just, let's pray. Let's pray for them. And, you know, then I got to get out of here. 
So I needed to learn about the miraculous from somebody else because watching Sybil respond to the needs, the physical needs of Sapiwe and her little ones. And there were two other little ones outside that were hers as well that were running around. Watching Sybil respond, it was like going to school and learning about here's how you minister to someone. And she started talking and all this kind of stuff. And my mom is a nurse and they learned that Sapiwe had had C-section in the hospital, had walked home from the hospital just a couple of days before wasn't healing well. The babies were malnourished. They weren't getting enough food. She wasn't healing. And while I wanted to leave, Sybil started making a list. And we made a list of things that we needed to buy. And we went to the store and we bought pacifiers and baby stuff. I was like, okay, this is what we're doing. This is is ministry. Lord, this is how we share your gospel. Yeah. Because what happened afterwards is Sapiwe needed a job. Sybil said, why don't you come to the school? Which is a stone's throw away. Sapiwe started working there. The babies were getting fed. If you go to that school, which we support, we help build a building. You help build that building. They hear about Jesus. Sapiwe starts hearing about Jesus. She starts coming. I don't have another picture, but I'll tell you the babies are fat now. <laughs> Word and deed. So it wasn't so much that like, oh, look, they healed people. It was, they spoke about the kingdom and they actually acted out and were in the lives of people. I'm equally moved by the miraculous confidence that I saw a lot of people have during this last year with COVID and with the craziness of our political whatever that's going out there. They didn't take the bait ever. They stayed on Jesus. They didn't buy into this party, this, this party, that. They stayed on Jesus. That's miraculous, is it not? That's a work of the kingdom of God in someone's life that is then being acted out in real life. And so I look at Jesus talking to the disciples saying, I want you to do this. I want you to be out there. And I am challenged my own heart. He gives some specific instructions, which basically says, don't take anything. But then later in Luke 22, which we'll get to eventually, he actually says, hey, remember when I sent you out without anything? No purse, no bag, no sandals. Did you lack anything when you did that ministry? And they answered him and said, nothing. Then he says, now if you go, I want you to buy, take a purse, take a bag, take a sword. If you don't have one, sell something and buy one. Whoa, Lord, what are you saying? Don't take stuff, now take stuff. What's the heart of the message? <clears throat> what was the heart of them? It was this, and this is, this is the simple thing. Absolute and utter dependence on Jesus when you do this, when you go out there. I'm gonna trust you no matter what. Maybe it will, that you need to provide something like with Sapiwe, there needed to be fun so we could buy stuff for her. Or maybe what words do I need to say to this person? The point is, listening to Jesus, what do you want to do, Jesus? What do you want to do through me? Can you lead me each step of the way? Realizing he's going to provide. He will give you what you need. But you may be saying, ah, I'm not going to be talking to people. I barely made it here. I got this going on in my life. I'm struggling with this. I'm not a model to talk to anybody. How could I even go out there and and share with somebody? 
So you may be like, I'm just going might be hard. Actually speaking to somebody or living this way, no way. But if we do, what's going to happen? Will people respond well to us actually living out the gospel? Look at verse 7 and see what happens with one guy and how he responds. Now, Herod, the Tetrarch, yes, that Herod, the one who killed all the babies in Bethlehem and tried to kill Jesus, heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead or some others said, no, it's Elijah. And by others that one of the prophets of old had risen and Herod said, I killed that guy. John, I beheaded. Who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. And it's kind of what I would, right when I read that, that's it. That's it. And he sought to see him. No, and he was able to, just he was trying to see Jesus. When you answer the call, if you answer the call and you start telling people about the kingdom of God, there's going to be a reaction from the world, positive and negative. There will be negative impact. There will be a negative response. And there probably will be negative consequences for living out. If there's not, if you're making no waves with the people you talk to about Jesus, if they look at you and they're like, oh, you're cute. Keep your Jesus stuff over there. It's all, yeah, that's great for you. That's great for you. There's a chance that it may not be the true Jesus you're sharing. Or it's so weak, it doesn't cost anything. Herod responds with, I killed this guy. Why is he making a ruckus again? What's going on? People are going to try to make sense of you. People are going to try to boil you down to fit you into a category. I think one of the reasons Luke included this little section, because if you think about it, it's weird. It's a tiny thing where it's like, hey, he sent them out. And then here's this thing about Herod and Herod wants to know what's going on. And he sought to find out. And then that's it. And then we move on to the feeding of the 5,000. Why is it in there? I think Luke wants us to know something. This is going to be hard. This is going to be hard. What you're doing is going to reach important people. And it's going to reach the wrong people. And they're going to be mad and they're going to start thinking, I don't want this to continue. It's going to be a spiritual battle. And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever met with somebody who says, oh, I'd love to hear more about this Jesus stuff. And then when you start meeting with them, something's just off. And it's like, they don't, they're not really interested. I think they're interested in arguing with me. And actually trying to convince me otherwise. I've been in meetings like that with people like week after week. I'm trying to like share the gospel with them and they keep coming back. And I'm like, wait a minute, they're trying to convert me. They want me out of this. So sometimes you're going to need to have discernment to say, this is not the right one. And you have to figure out what people are interested in. What was Herod interested in? Was he interested in Jesus or not really? Herod was not interested in Jesus as king or Lord. He just saw him somebody who could do magic tricks, somebody who could pull off miracles. He wanted to know if he could use that. So people will try to figure out what you're doing, what all this Jesus talk is about. Sometimes not because they really want to know, but because they already think you're irrelevant. Oh, you're one of those. Unfortunately, in our current climate right now, people start to notice and they hear the word Christian. And what do they think? Oh, you're one of them. One of those people, the big mess. Did you storm the Capitol? Right? It's in there. It's, it's out there. Whether you like it or not, I'm not trying to say anything about anything political. I'm just trying to say, 
If you have the word Christian next to your name right now in any setting, somebody, the wrong somebody is going to notice and say, ah, I know what they're all about. So do we just not do it? Jesus would say, share anyway, share anyway. The core issue with a lot of people is they're not going to believe that Jesus is the son of God. They're going to try to find a way to explain him in some other way. And so Herod is that person here. And I would say this, because I know I have tried. Don't think you can be clever enough with people that are hostile to tell them the message of Jesus in a new way that will not be offensive. Please don't think that. We must not fall into the trap of trying to make sense of Jesus. Now, when I first wrote that phrase down in my notes earlier this week, I was thinking Herod was trying to make sense of Jesus. He's like, what is going on with this? But then I really felt the Holy Spirit kind of speak to me and said, no, Chad, you quit trying to make sense of me to other people. Let me be me. Let me be me. Let the gospel be there in its full context. Because usually what happens if somebody, you start talking to somebody and they respond with like, what? And they're mad at you and you're upset. You say, wait, 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 wait. I'm not communicating clearly. Let me rephrase. Let me give you that again with more tact. Let me say something that is palatable. We've tried to do it. I've tried to do it with people in the gospel. Oh, I, I'm... I'm young and I know how to be creative and I can say it in a way that will cause people not to be offended when all along the Bible says, it's offensive. Jesus is offensive. He asks for everything. What other things did he say about himself? Did he say, I'm a good teacher. I'm a model for life. Is that what he said? No, he didn't ask for respect as a religious leader. You know what he said of himself? I am the only way. To the Father. I am the only way you make it into eternity with me. He also said of himself, Luke 24, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in my name to all nations. Is that tell everybody I'm a good teacher. Tell everybody I'm, I'm somebody to follow as a, a model and as an example of love. No, tell them repentance and forgiveness of sins is available in me. That's the claim of Jesus. So here's a question. Can you honor or respect Jesus and reject his claims? No, you cannot. You can't. Anybody that says, oh, I, I love Jesus. I think he's great. I think he's great. If they reject any of his claims, they're not honoring him. They're not respecting him. There is a cost to discipleship because there's mention there of John the Baptist. What happened to him? He died. He died. He gave his life. Now, one thing, that last sentence, and he sought to see him, just kind of stuck with me this week because here's what I thought. Don't let it be said of you that you sought to see Jesus, but were unable to. You know, what would keep you from seeing him? If you've reduced him to something that is a view of the world, that is something that's palatable, that is something that the world says, here is what's acceptable for talking about Jesus. If you're like, yeah, I'll go with that because I don't want to make any waves. There's a chance you will never see him unless you accept him in his fullness, his terms to experience his grace and love. Don't let it be said of you. So that's the disciples first out of the nest 
they've already got somebody in the palace mad at them. Round one, test run on the mission. Now what? Verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And we look in some of the other gospels and they're like, Jesus, we went and we did it. We put our hands on people and they were healed and we couldn't believe it. It was amazing. Jesus is like, good job. Let's go. Round two, he withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them. The kingdom of God cured those who had need of healing, spoke, acted, word, deed. Now the day began to wear away and the 12 came to him and said, I'm sure it was the practical ones in the group. Lord, um, we just have a few things to say about today and the day is late and look at all these people. And they said, send the crowd away to go into this. this I love the specifics. Listen to the plan. We've thought about it. And we think if you just send them away, there's some villages over there. They can go there. They can buy food. They can stay there and we don't have to deal with them. It's a very, very specific plan. We're here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. You feed them. I don't want to be in this house, Lord. I don't want to deal with two newborn babies and a mom who just had a C-section. I don't, I don't even want to talk about all that. Like, I'd, I'd rather not. No. You feed them. They move from being fired up, excited because things are happening, to being tired, overwhelmed, and thinking there's no way. There's no way. So, Lord... Here are practical things that you need to think about, and we just want you to send them away. But Jesus, the Ancient of Days, the Lord Almighty, the one who is high and lifted up, says, no, you feed them. You feed them. As I read that, the Lord directed me to another verse in the Old Testament, which is an important thing to do when you're reading the New Testament. In Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and he was afraid he was going to die, and an angel came to him and touched his lips, said, you've been made clean. Now look at the Lord. And the Lord said to him, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And when you almost died and you're in God's presence and then he made it okay for you to be there, you go, me, I'll go, which is what Isaiah says, I'll go. I hear that in Jesus' voice right here. You feed them. Who will go for us? Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? I worked in a youth hostel in Amsterdam when I was in college. I was a part of something called Youth Hostel Ministry with Wheaton College, and we went overseas. There were traveling teams and there were stationary teams. I wanted to be on the traveling team. Eh, didn't happen. Um, my soon-to-be, in a couple of years, wife was on the team that picked, and she was one of the ones that decided, and she was absolutely right. I needed to stay in Amsterdam and be part of a stationary team. And so we would have over 100 or so travelers, usually college students, backpacking through Europe. They come into the youth hostel. It's a cheap room. You get a meal in the morning and you go out. And so we'd hold Bible studies. They could come or not. It's a great, amazing ministry. And we used to serve this breakfast, which was grilled toast, an egg, ham, the most amazing cheese you've ever had in your life. It was all put together. We called it the Ebenhazer McMuffin. It was amazing. And there was another shelter in town, another youth hostel. Some of my friends worked at that one and their breakfast stunk. And they loved Ebenhazer breakfast. And so I had this every morning with, you know, espresso. And it was just amazing. waffle, just awesome stuff. Well, one day it was my job to work in the kitchen 
for breakfast for over 100 people. And so this big guy named Andre said, Chad, you will be doing the grill today. I was like, okay. And he handed me the big spatula thing. And I was kind of like, you know, waving it around. He's like, all right, let's get going. And so he said, you know, why don't you start off cracking egg? And so like, I'm way new to this stuff. So I'm like, you know, one egg goes down on the grill. He's like, all right, good job. It's like, all right. Said, flip it. And I flipped it. And then I laid the bread down over here and I laid a piece of ham down. And then I started stacking it and put the cheese on and everything. And the cheese melted. It was this beautiful thing. I was like, there it is. That's the oven. I did it. I did it. He goes, great. Now crack 40 more eggs. I was like, okay, I can't do that. <laughs> I, I don't know how to do that. I could do one. He's, and he points out to the cafe, which is beginning to fill with travelers coming down for their breakfast. And sure enough, I had to cook for all of those people in a timely manner. <laughs> and so, wouldn't you know it, by the time we were done, I was two eggs, two hands. Like I could do the whole move where I didn't even have to do it. All one move. I was like, hey, like I was having all, you know. By the end of it, I was doing it. I was making... 40 at a time, you know, all in sequence, not burning anything. But I needed Andre pushing me a little bit. I needed him to say, okay, great. You went door to door. You were able to see people healed. You spoke about the kingdom of God. Now let's do 5,000. Let's do actually probably 10,000 because that was just the men they counted. So dumb why they did that kind of stuff. 5,000 men, the women are there, the children are there too. Over 10,000 people, you feed them. Lord, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. How can I even do this? Jesus ups the ante here. He raises the stakes, which he will do. You feed them. That is impossible, Lord. Think about a situation in your life right now, a person something you're struggling with, something you want to see the Lord do something about, and you are, your prayers are just like that. That is impossible. You're asking me to live this way? That is impossible. And yet the Lord is like, you do it, feed them. He's asked us to be salt and light in a world that is very dark and dying. And he has not changed the mission. It's the same mission. He's still on it. And we may think, well, I can't do it. It's not even going to make a difference. What difference will it make if I do something, if I speak to my coworker or if it's my friend and I actually share the real gospel, not the like barely showing my flashlight, but the whole thing. What difference will it make? Let's see how Jesus handles their, not just hesitancy. They basically say, no, <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. So here's the next verse. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Jesus, let's do math. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven total pieces of food. Do you see all those people? You ever have prayers like that with the Lord? Let's do the math right now, Lord. This bill is due and this is how much you're providing. What is the problem? Five loaves and two fishes. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. That's what's there. That's what's under the words. It's thick with sarcasm. Oh, do you want us to go buy food for these people? Is that what we're supposed to do? There were about 5,000 men and he said to his disciples, I think he did that sometimes. 
we know he got a little frustrated with the boat thing. And he was like, oh, come on. And not in a mean way and not in I'm sick of you way, but just in a, you just watched me raise somebody from the dead. I just calmed the storm. I made wine out of water. <sighs> Tell them to sit down. Just, can you do that for me? Can you just have them sit down? Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. Had them all sit down. Just think about that. It probably took a little time. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. And I wonder if there had to be one or two disciples like, it's not going to work this time. <laughs> I know he did it last time, but he's not going to do it anymore. He's all run out. Lifts it up, blesses it. He breaks the bread, breaks the loaves, gives it to them to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. That's not like you only get this much. It's everybody's full. Everybody's happy. Everybody's like, oh my goodness, best bread and fish I've ever had. Where'd you get this? Best we've ever had. And what was left over was picked up. How much? 12 baskets for 12 disciples. Just imagine them after like everybody's going home. It's been a great day. Jesus is like, you ready, boys? Let's go. And they're like, hang on. <laughs> With their big bag basket of bread and fish. Jesus, just listen to us. Let's do the math together. You don't understand. We can't do this. There's not enough. It's hopeless. I don't see a way out of this. How can this possibly turn out any different? I give up. I've reached the end of it. There are no more options. I don't have any desire to do this. I can't. No, I won't. Fill in your phrase. For whatever it is in your life right now, but specifically as you think about the Lord asking you to be his hands and feet, Lord, I can't. I don't feel good about this. All the disciples had to do is just listen to him. And it was simple. Almost like taking a mirror and just redirecting. Just have people sit down and the miracle happens. Have the people sit down, take this, give it to them. And it happens. Jesus loves to use people. He wants to use us. They are a part of this. He intends to minister to this dark world we're in through us, if we're willing. Could he do it another way? Sure. Could there have been skywriting, planes flying in Israel that they've never seen before? Would that get people's attention? The kingdom of God is here. I don't even know what that is up there. Donuts falling from the sky with little gospel tracks on them. Blado's donuts falling from the sky. Maple Long John's falling from the sky with a gospel track on top. Like that would get me in a second. <clears throat> Sign me up. I'm in. If you can do that, Lord. He could do that. But what has he chosen to do? People, one-on-one, -on -one, you and me. And just as a little side thought here, this is a speaking back to an Old Testament event where God provided manna in the wilderness out of nothing, just ends up on the ground. This is also pointing to a future meal in the kingdom of heaven, marriage supper of the lamb, where you, if you're obedient to Jesus, you're not just meeting a need right now, you are inviting them to a future wedding, to the marriage supper of the lamb. And his promise to us, simple, 
There's more than enough. If it's me, there's more than enough. Jesus breaks the bread and hands it to the disciples to give out. That is the simplest way to describe what we're here to do. He breaks the bread, you give it away. He breaks the bread, he breaks the bread, you give it away. He accomplishes everything for us, you give it away. Jesus, the broken bread and poured out wine with his life, death and resurrection has handed it to us to give away. Will it come with a world that maybe doesn't respond perfectly and gets upset and maybe does things to us? Yes, yes, but the mission hasn't changed. With their connection to Jesus, the disciples feed everyone and they even have leftovers. It's just a handoff. It's just a handoff. My youth pastor, Tim Tinsley, I mentioned at the beginning when he said, one day you're gonna take my job. It was, it was this relay. And he basically coming to the end of his stretch and he just reached out and said, Chad, take it, take it. I don't really like running. <laughs> it's kind of me. I don't think I can do this. I've never done this before. Just take it. And so over the last, I don't know, 30 years or so, I have held on to that baton, but I've always checked back in with Tim because I've had this thought, like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it? I was like, do you think I can, you really think I can do this? He always responds well. And I want to finish with conversation we've had over the last year, just a few text messages. Uh, it was last September, I texted Tim. I said, hello, my friend. My mom passed on the latest about your health. I wanted you to know I'm praying for you and that I love you. Jesus is still all we need. Bless you. And if you haven't heard it from me before, I am walking with Jesus and serving our King because you passed the baton to me. I will continue to run the race set before me. And Tim, with the news of what was happening in his body, was much more sober in his messages, said, thank you, my dear son in the faith. I love you so much. Months pass, a couple weeks ago. I said, it's probably at least once a week that I'm telling somebody about you, my brother. And I sent him a copy of my paper that I had to write for the free church to get my license. Because I'm a kid who still wants to know that somebody thinks I'm doing a good job. That's how it works. You still want to know. And so it's like, hey, is this any good? I wrote this for my licensing in the free church last year. I'm working through my ordination over the next two. I talk about you in the first couple of pages. Bless you, Tim. Love you. I'm continuing to pray. Oh, Chad, I am so proud of you. Jesus, as always, has you in the nail-scarred palm of his hand. Be yourself. Be honest. God will carry you through. I love you. And then I texted back something he used to say all the time at the end of his notes, in his grip. And I, I sent that to him and he said, it's so true. And then he said this, I'm getting a permanent abdominal drain implanted on Monday in preparation for going on hospice care. I love you. And I was like, this is, this is real. And so I had just felt the spirit kind of rising up in me. And here's what I wrote. I know you are close, my friend. I have no idea what it's like to be where you are, go through what you're going through. Yet I am so thankful to be able to hear your experience of Jesus as you face the sufferings of this life. 
I will pray for continued grace and strength. I know your strength for being able to do just basic things is very limited. Know that I love you. Cannot thank you enough for loving me so well. Even as your own son, he truly is enough. What a glorious day approaches. Save me a seat, my brother. Love you. And he didn't answer back. Last Sunday, I walked out of here, walked up to my office and I grabbed my phone and it said, Tim Tinsley just spent his first Sunday in heaven. And the weirdest thing, obviously I was grieving, but I was rejoicing. But mainly, here's what I was feeling. Oh, I just took it. I have it, like for real now. I got this all my whole life. It's like, oh, I've got to stay connected. I've got to stay I don't know if I can do this pastor thing. And I just realized, I was like, this is okay. I guess I can do it. I guess I can do this. I can share the love of Jesus with the world. So what is this all about? I'm asking you to run with me. That's what we're doing. I'm holding it out to you too to take the baton in this wonderful mission of telling the world about the love of Jesus. Will you? Ask the worship team to come up as we break bread together. If you have one of these, you can go ahead and start crinkling it. There's no way around it. It just makes noise. And that's okay. This is kind of like the moment when the disciples were trying to get everybody to sit down in groups of 50. Just sit over there. No, I don't want to sit with my family. Open your thing. <laughs> but eventually, from John chapter 6, Jesus said, I'm not just giving you food, I am the bread. No coincidence, he was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not go hungry ever because he's feeding spiritual hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst because you're partaking of a Passover lamb who is the sacrifice for you. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians and he said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. I bet when he held that bread up, the disciples were like memories flashing back to lifting the bread, the multiplication. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. In the same way, he also took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake together.
Oh Lord, we love you. I know there's varying degrees of our emotions and our affections at play when we say that. We're all in different spots. We're all growing. We all um, know that if we're left on our own, there's no way we do this. But with you, Jesus, with the accomplished work of your perfect life, your death, and your resurrection, that you lived the life we couldn't live, you died the death we should have died. And Lord, then you rose from the grave. You punched death in the mouth and said, no more, I hold the keys. So God, we remember this morning. We remember. And Lord, we long for the day, we look forward to the day when we will raise a glass to the King of Kings. I bet I'll get to at least see my friend, Tim. Lord, we ask that you minister to us now as we sing together, as we reflect on your perfect work and on you as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Son of God, Lamb of God. Amen. Why don't we stand together and sing?